But I was happy and positive that I was still alive. And um, I knew that I, if I wanted to get back, I didn't need to be depressed. I needed to be positive and keep a positive mindset. Otherwise, I'm going to fail and give up. And I didn't want to give up because I didn't want my, want my parents to go through such horrible experiences again. So I, the first few months, I rehabilitated for their sake mm-hmm. because I wanted to give them their son back. Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations, folks. It's Audley Stevenson back for another edition of Hands Down, the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. This is the Audacious Living Podcast, and I appreciate you for being here with us as we continue our ongoing goal of helping our listeners live their best audacious lives ever as always i encourage you to connect with us on our social media channels uh facebook instagram and twitter as you can find us under the handle the audacious pod or if you head over to youtube and you hit that bell down below uh ding 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 uh, that way you can stay connected to all good things audacious related by subscribing to the channel Now, one of the things I absolutely love about doing this podcast is the fact that I'm able to connect with so many outstanding and amazing individuals who've got such tremendous and impactful stories to share. And and I really mean this when I say that this has been a truly an absolute blessing for me thus far. Now, I I say all that to set the stage for today's guest. He's a young young man by the name of Kai Smith who hails from the Netherlands, and he has an incredible story of perseverance and determination to share. You see, it was two months ago, right after his 18th birthday, back in May of 2021, Kai Smith suffered a brain hemorrhage. Uh, He was rushed to the hospital immediately where his parents were told that he'd have a 5% chance to survive through the night. And if he did, he'd have a 95% chance of being in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. One year later, Kai is walking, driving, riding his bike, and doing all the things the doctor said he would never be able to do again. And he attributes that to his will to keep fighting and keeping a positive attitude. Uh, That really is is a key to him, and he did this continuously. It helped in his recovery all the way through his treatment until he's here today. Like I said, it's a tremendous story of overcoming obstacles, adversity, and challenges, and I'm so glad that Kai reached out and made this happen. So uh, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kai Smith. Enjoy. Greetings, Kai. Thank you for joining me today here on the Audacious Living Podcast. It's a pleasure to uh, to chat with you and, and make some time. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's uh, really awesome. Uh, uh, listen, I, I just appreciate connecting with people and, and, and hearing stories and, and individual journeys because really, I think there's so much to be gained and so much to be learned through the experiences of others. And, 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 and perhaps someone else's 
challenge, adversity, pitfall could be, and, and how they got through that could be exactly what someone else needs to hear. So I really appreciate you you're here to share and, and talk about so your experiences. Uh, and for, perhaps let's start off uh, with sort of where your story begins. Obviously, I know you battled um, uh, brain hemorrhages and uh, had to go through that individual, that journey, that battle. Um, I wonder if you could sort of start off maybe sort of what, you know, what, what your life was like prior to and then, you know, what happened for you? Okay, so uh, prior to the brain hemorrhages, I was studying for my high school exams because mm-hmm. I was studying to get into university. And uh, I worked out four to six times a week, ate healthy, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't use drugs. Right. So, and I was, I was young, so 18. I right. lived a, the perfect life, so a healthy, healthy lifestyle, and uh, was young. And still I got the brain hemorrhages, mm-hmm. which baffles every doctor I ever tell them. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I can certainly see from your perspective, you're going, like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living right. I'm eating right. I'm treating my body right. Um, But but these things that happen, I think, I think, so I think within that, there's an important message in terms of, you know, there there are times when things are going to happen to you and there's no, we have no control over that. Right. Uh, It's just like live your life, like live every day, like it's your last because, well, it can be. Yes. So, so when did you first experience or when did it first talk about when it, you first started to experience these brain hemorrhages? Uh, so I experienced them both at the same time. So I don't have any underlying medical condition which causes brain hemorrhages. It was okay. spontaneous because one in three brain hemorrhages is spontaneous. Okay. Just out of nowhere, no medical background, no blood vessels that are weak, no high blood pressure, nothing. I had nothing. Right. So... Uh, when it first started, I had a huge headache in my left temple. Okay. Because that was where one of the where one of the blood vessels burst. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I have a headache. Well, yeah, I'm studying from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. Right. That's that's normal. Well, I'm over exaggerating my over exerting my body. So I thought, well, I'm going to work out, get my mind off of things, and continue. That didn't go as planned because when I was halfway through my workout, I started to lose vision in my right eye. So I couldn't see stuff in my right field. field right. Of and that's when I knew, okay, I have a huge headache. It's killing. Yeah. And I'm starting to lose vision in my right eye. This is not right. Right. I, I went inside. I told my parents who were fortunate, fortunately, they were both home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told them, okay, mom, Stand to the right of me, I can't see you. Stand to the left of me, I can see you. Mm. I have a huge headache. It's killing. So, fortunately, my neighbor is a doctor. Okay. So they called him over, and he ran some tests. Unfortunately, he didn't find anything. Because gotcha. the, the tests you need to perform in order to, to uh, find out if, there's, if someone has a brain hemorrhage is, are, uh, first, do you have a tingling sensation in your limbs? Mm-hmm. So, yeah do you have a speaking disorder so is your speak impaired speech impaired mm-hmm. uh, and do you have motor dysfunction so right. are limbs shutting off are you right move your left arm right arm left leg right leg and so on i didn't have any of those okay so the only thing i had was 
lost vision in my right eye and a huge headache. So what do you think he said I had? He said a, a severe headache of some sort? What, what would he? Migraine. Migraine, yeah. He said, yeah I, so he take said, an aspirin. He said, take an aspirin, go upstairs, lie in bed, go to sleep, it will go over. If I would have done that, I would have been dead. Hmm. So uh, have you ever had a fever that's so hot that you just want to lay in a cold bath or lay on the ground? Or right, right. So that's what I was experiencing because my head was, well, your brain is the perfect size, fit for your head. There's no extra room. So mm. when a blood vessel burst and two inches worth of blood is pouring into your skull. Yes. A few millimeters, a few, a few quarters of an inch can even kill you. Or in the metric system, a few right. millimeters can kill you. Right. And I had two in, I had one inch. Two inches, two inches. Wow. That's huge. Yes. So I was laying on the ground because I was sweating. I, I, I was sweating a lot. I had fever symptoms. I was having a huge headache. And uh, at that moment, everything suddenly went black for me. Mm. In real time, I had an epileptic attack. And when the emergency services were called, rushed over, and I was in the hospital for one month. Okay. And I can't remember two months. Wow. So the brain hemorrhage took place on the 12th of May. Mm-hmm. So the 12th of July is when I can't remember. Wow. Wow. So it's t- it took away. And so during that time in the hospital, what are you, what are you experiencing? Are there, is it pain or what's that? Do you remember what was happening for you at that time? Nothing, nothing. It suddenly, I, it suddenly went black. I woke up. I couldn't move, couldn't speak. and was in a strange place with people I didn't know. Wow. That must have been surreal. A scary it feeling, like, yeah. yeah it, felt, it felt like a dream. Like wow. going to sleep and waking up in a dream and not being able to do anything. So that's what, what I thought the first six weeks, that this was all a dream. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So, yes. the wife of Leonardo DiCaprio still thinks she's in a dream. Mm. And do you know the solution she chooses? I'm trying to recall now. Suicide. Right. Right. Suicide. Right. Suicide. Yes, 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 yes. To escape the dream, she wants to, she to escape the up. dream. Yeah. So that was my solution as well. So the first thing I asked my mother when I could speak again was, Mom, can you get me a gun? I don't want to continue anymore. I don't want to wake mm. up. Kai, to get to that point where um, you just don't want to do it no more, that, that's, that's a, an extreme point of desperation for, for many people, right? Like they've just had enough. They can't cope. It's, 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 it's way too demanding or exhausting or tiring. Um, so to, to hear that part of the story for you, uh, it's, 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 I mean, I, my, my heart goes out to you in that moment and that experience that you're having, um, what, 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 what pulled you out of it? Uh, three things. First was medication because I was in a comatose state. So mm-hmm. I was still not, my consciousness was not really active at that point. Right. Second was, uh, texting with friends. Because the reasons why I thought it was all a dream were three reasons. First was uh, my short-term memory was very bad. 
Mm-hmm. So when I put my phone to the right of me and I went to sleep, it suddenly teleported to the left of me, but I probably laid it to the left of me and put it right. to the left of me. He doesn't my remember. nurses did, or someone else did, but I couldn't remember and couldn't fathom that it would have been on the left side. So I thought it teleported. Right, right. And um, the other thing was I could predict everything the nurses did. So when I, I asked them, hey, can you get me some water? Because I drank five liters of water every day. That's two gallons or something. Right. And uh, so I asked them for water a lot of times. And every time they would say, give me five minutes, I'll be right back. I just have to finish this. So when I asked them and I got the same answer back, I thought, yeah, I can predict this. That was the same with the therapists, nurses, doctors, everything. I could predict everything because it was also standard and all. Uh, oh, what do you call it? Procedure? Procedure, that's what Yes, yes. It's a procedure. And so, well, it's a procedure. It's a standard procedure. And I figured out the procedure so I could predict everything they did. Gotcha. But when I could text my friends again, I asked them, Hey guys, how are you doing? I expected an answer back like, hey Kai, how are you doing? The answer I got back was, holy shit, Kai, aren't you dead? How are you still alive? Where are you? Hmm. What happened to you? Can you do anything? Can you move stuff? Right, right. So I couldn't predict that. So that's something I knew. Okay, this is is real. The third reason was uh, a friend of the family came by. Mm -hmm. He had had a stroke at the age of 14 in Canada. Oh, wow. When he was on vacation and he was transported back to the Netherlands. And he said, when I came back to the Netherlands, because he thought it, this was all a dream as well, when he arrived back into the Netherlands, he knew, okay, this has to be real. Because mm. I'm back in my familiar situation. Right. Familiar surroundings. So I was in a familiar surrounding, but I knew this was real when I switched rehabilitation centers. Because the one I was in, the first few weeks, first six weeks, was a uh, broad rehabilitation center for born with uh, brain damage, not born with right. brain damage, muscle disorders, everything. And the, the rehabilitation center I went to mm-hmm. specialized in not born with brain damage by young people. By young people. Wow. Wow. That's a... That's- that's well. Well, I, I, look, I, I'm 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 happy that you were able to find the that internal strength to get past that situation at that moment. So, so take us through. So, uh, um, you're in the hospital for six weeks. You said for a month. For four. Okay, and four weeks. Okay. So you you you. So after you came out, what was you went home? So what was what was that like? Now that no, transition. I didn't go home. Oh, okay. I went straight to the rehabilitation center. So I woke up in a rehabilitation center. Right, okay. I couldn't move, couldn't speak. and was in a strange place, the strange place being the mm-hmm. center, and the strange people being the nurses, right. therapists, doctors, other rehabilitation patients. Right. And so what, was, what, what, what did the road to recovery look like now? Uh, the road to recovery looked like uh, first six weeks of being suicidal, not wanting to continue, not wanting to be a part of therapy because I thought, what's the point? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be better or better. Right. So then 
the friend of the family came by. He told me that it's not a dream, and I'm going to prove it to you. He proved it to me, and he was he was a bodybuilder, so I knew that being able to get back and being able to improve even was possible. At that time, I didn't understand or didn't know that there are different types of brain damage, and that mm-hmm. mine was very severe, and his was not as severe as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Because he told me that he could walk in the first week. It took me six months to walk. Wow. So, but that he, he told me that after I asked him, because I just assumed that he would be taken eight months or something to be able to walk again. Right. Then he told me, no, I could walk in the first week. Oh, wow. That, that was just like, whoa, okay. Glad I didn't know that at the beginning. <laughs> right. Right. But so um, he told me you have to give 120% for every therapy in order to get back. So that's what I did. Right. I went uh, I went with a smile towards every uh, during every therapy. I was laughing, made cracking jokes, everything, even though I couldn't move anything. Mm-hmm. My therapist who came to my bed was like, why is this kid so positive? Mm-hmm. Cracking jokes, he can't move anything, he can barely speak. Why is he laughing? And I don't know either. It was just it was just that I knew I was, I was in the right place with the right people who could definitely help me. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't a dream and I loved life. So I didn't want to die. I wanted to escape the situation. Right. That's basically what suicide is like. You don't want to die. You want to escape the situation you're in right now. And death is in your mind the solution, even though it isn't. Right. In your mind, it's not dying. It's being able to take this pain away. Right. So, so you, you, you have this positive spirit. You have, you're laughing. Uh, you don't know where it's coming from. Like, is, is that kind of your nature prior to the brain hemorrhage? Yeah. And that's yeah. what you, so you, all, you were just sort of continuing being who you were then. Yeah. So I was always happy-go-lucky. And so my parents were very shocked by me being going from happy-go-lucky to deepest of depression there is right in an instant so you just went back to where you started i was i went back to where i started yeah and and for no you had no i i guess in one respect like you're looking at you going well what am i happy about because well i I can't do the things that i'm normally doing i am i'm you know i'm in this rehabilitation center uh but yet i'm still quite positive and happy that i'm still alive well, I was happy and positive that I was still alive, and um, I knew that I, if I wanted to get back, I didn't need to be depressed. I needed to be positive and keep a positive mindset. Otherwise, I'm going to fail and give up, and I didn't want to give up because I didn't want my, want my parents to go through such horrible experiences again. So I, the first few months, I rehabilitated for their sake mm-hmm. because I wanted to give them their son back. Got you. Got you. No, I get it. I get it. So um, it took you six months to, is that, is it, so you said it took you six months to walk. Is that to fully recover or just to walk? And then like, when did the other things come back to you? Or how long did those take? It, my full re- rehabilitation took 11 months. Oh, wow. Okay. That was actually pretty, pretty fast because they, the rehabilitation doctor told me this week when I was done rehabilitating and my promotion is coming up. 
mm-hmm. which is being promoted from rehabilitation patient back to their normal life. Right. And uh, he told me, yeah, when you were in the hospital, I saw your scans and I looked at you and I thought, and the other doctors thought as well, this kid is never going to be able to do anything anymore. Wow. His brain damage is so severe. It's even a miracle that he's still alive. So wow. they, they had already given up on me when I didn't even try yet. Hmm. Uh, it, it, I, I can see why I can see why they think it's a miracle of, considering how severe your situation was. Um, how much of it was your attitude? Like you said, you had a positive attitude. You're laughing. How much of that do you think contributed to your, your, your recovery? All of it. Yeah. Of it. Because uh, I learned three lessons, two of which came, started, gave me some positivity. One was no one knows how high someone can fly. So, uh, that's with doctors who have studied numerous years for their, for their specific field of, of expertise. They don't know jack shit about the brain. The brain is a mystery. They even tell that, that we don't know anything about it. It's still mm-hmm. a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. So they make assumptions based on previous cases, but yes. I proved them all wrong. <laughs> and the, the other thing is don't look at the end goal, look at where you started. That way you can see the, the improvements you've made. Yes. I was positive in my second rehabilitation center because my parents asked me do you want to see the pictures of you in the ICU I said yeah go ahead which can be shocking so I looked at them and I saw a different person I didn't know who it was but mm. then I realized okay so that was where I started yes Look at where I'm now I'm able to speak again at that point I was battling for my life and so I didn't look at the end goal look at being able to fully recover I looked at where I started and that way, I could see. Yeah. And you, I, and you know, Kai, sorry to interrupt you there, but I think it's really important when you talk about that goal. You know, looking not looking at the end goal because if you start at the beginning of a long journey, you can go, "Oh my gosh, it's such a far way to go. There's so much I have to overcome. I'll never be able to do it." Uh, as opposed to that, taking one foot and putting step in front of each other and moving forward. And when you look up, all of a sudden, you're halfway there, and you didn't even know. So it motivates you, right? Yeah, it motivated me immensely. Yes. Because, uh, well, being able to move my arm again was one of my biggest goals. Right. Being able to walk again was my biggest, but then move my arm was my second biggest. And I could, couldn't move my arm one inch. But then eventually, after a few weeks, I could move it two inches. Right. And I thought, wait, I can't, couldn't do this two weeks ago. So right. that was what kept me positive. So... Don't look at the end goal, look at where you started. Every other motivational guide says differently. They, they say, don't look back, look ahead. Yes. But I say, look back, don't look ahead. Because if you only look ahead, it's so unreachable that you start you, you trying to give up. Because, well, yeah. it's not possible. But if you look at where you started, so look back. That's what keeps you positive. Nice. No, you're right. It keeps you positive. What What was the third thing that you learned? Um, dividing up your goals. Ah. So if I were to tell you, you get $12 million, mm-hmm. swim to Cuba, would you do it? You can take sure. as long as you want. Sure. Okay, you would dare to do it. But do, you, do you think you would be able to make it? Well, if the goal is important enough, right? It's what you're after. Okay, but yeah, realistically speaking, do you think you can make it? It would be tough. <laughs> it would be tough. Yeah, yeah. So 
that's that's something. But if I were to tell you that every half of, half a mile there's a there's a boat, and the boat has water, drinks, food, shelter, sleeping accommodations, everything you can dream of. Right. And you can still take as long as you want to reach Cuba. Would you do it? Sure, because what I'm now looking at is those little markers, those yeah. boats, it, it, the rest stops. Your end goal isn't Cuba. Your, your goal is the next boat. Yes. So when, and you eventually, when you reach all the, the sub-goals, you eventually reach the main goal. So that's, what, that's the key in defining your, your goals. Because to put this into a perspective, my, my rehabilitation center has worked in six-week goals. Yes. They told me if week one. Uh, in six weeks, you have to walk 50 meters, which is like you know, 200 yards or something. Okay, yeah. And uh, so I couldn't even get out of my wheelchair in week one. How in the name of God am I even going to reach 50, 200 yards in, in right. six weeks? It was just impossible in my mind. My dad told me then, we're going to divide it up into week goals. Week one, get out of your wheelchair. Week two, walk three meters. Yes. Three, walk seven meters and stuff. So on, so on, so on. Yes. What it did for me was, in six weeks, this really, this, this really happened. I didn't reach 50 meters, but I did reach 40. Right. I thought to myself, I didn't fail. Give me two more weeks and I'm there. Right. So, right. Because in my uh, feedback moment of mm-hmm. goals that the doctor did, he always told me, yeah, you didn't reach it, go, you didn't reach it, go, you didn't reach it, go, this go. But I said, no, 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 give me two weeks and I'm there. Right. And in those two weeks and I was there. So it wasn't all negative. In his, in his words, it was all negative because I didn't reach this goal, this goal, this goal. And in my mind, it was like, give me a few, give me some time. Yes. I love it. No, I love it. And again, breaking up those goals, breaking up those that big goal and those are the small sub goals. And that's like it's it's like your little steps as you move along the way. So I think those those three lessons are really important ones. Um, uh, so at the end of the rehabilitation center, you were there for eleven months in total. You said, yeah, eleven months. You must have been happy to get back home. Well, I I think the. Last week of the first six weeks, when I could go home for the weekend, mm-hmm. and after four months of of being intern, so internal in the in the hospital, yes, when I went poly clinical, which means you uh, rehabilitate from home and then you go go during the day, right, the therapy, and at the end of the day you go back home. So currently, I'm in the apartment that we rented mm-hmm. because the rehabilitation center is. A two hour and 50 minute, 15 minute drive from the house I live in in the northern part of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Rehabilitation center is in the center to lower center part of the Netherlands. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's outstanding. And, and then, so, you know, you, you identified a, a bunch of lessons that you, you learned through this process. Uh, one of them being how you can help others uh, get through their own situations. I wonder if you you could talk about that. Well, so uh, wishing, believing, daring, doing. 
Do you wish to achieve your goals? Do you you believe you can really do it? Do you dare to take the next step? Well, then do it. That's my method. That's the method I use Mm -hmm. in order to reach my end goals. I teach those to different, to the other rehabilitation patients. I teach them the lessons I just mentioned. Yes. And I try to give them a positive view. And in the cases that caught on, I saw immense improvements in them. Wow. Wow. So w- how long did it take you to sort of realize that you had something to teach others? Is it, did, did it come to you kind of right away or did you, did, when, when did you know that you can help and, other lives? Well, uh, I rehabilitated for six months without yep. much improvement. Well, my parents say I made staggering improvements. Yes. My therapist told me that my left arm wasn't going to work anymore. Right. Because I made so little improvements. So I believe the therapist and they said I didn't make much improvements Right. until they, they found out what was wrong with me. But do you know the Parkinson's disease? No. Parkinson's disease, no? Oh, Parkinson's. Sorry. I thought Parkinson's, yes, yeah. Parkinson's is absolutely it's a, yeah, another, another debilitating where you where, where it sort of robs people's memories or lives. They sort of, yeah. yeah. Because of a dopamine shortage. Mm-hmm. And I've got Parkinsonism, which means you have the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, but you don't have the Parkinson's disease. Gotcha. And what that means is I rehabilitated for six months with a very stiff body. Because dopamine is the translator between your muscles and your brain. Right. Your muscles speak German and your brain speaks English. <laughs> right. So, or your muscles speak Dutch. Right. I'm going to ask you now how many percentages I want from you. <laughs> How many percentages did I ask for? Uh, no clue. No clue, Kai. You tell me. <laughs> well, my brain thinks it's 100. So they give me 100%. I asked for 20. Got you. So my brain gives me 100 when I actually want 20. So I'm overstimulating my muscles completely. Mm. It makes them stiff. Right. And the translator, a.k.a. the dopamine between the two, the dopamine, a.k.a. the translator, that said that translates the message from my muscles saying equal 20% means I want 20%. Right. So they tell my brain, no, the muscles don't want 100, they want 20. In which case, my brain sends 20. But when you don't have the translator, yes. you overstimulate your muscles, in which case yeah. they get stiff. Right. So I was rehabilitating with a body that was stiff as can be, six months eventually they caught on and uh, they knew okay it's kind of like Parkinson we're going to give him dopamine they build it up for two months the dose they build it up for two months mm-hmm. eventually the, the dose caught on the first day I rehabilitated from home so it was it was like going home yes. Help was the miracle drug but it was actually the dopamine mm. so first week I could move my, I could open my left arm again move my left arm Right. Two weeks prior, they said, Kai, it's not going to work anymore. The second week, I could talk normally because I was very monotone and very quiet. Right. Third week, I could walk again. All because of the dopamine. But now you're probably thinking it's a miracle drug and you should give it to everyone. That's not the case because I see like it's a dam. That's my metaphor. metaphor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was... Filling the dam 
with water with a bucket for six months. Okay. And and the the water before the dam and the dam was taken away by the dopamine. So the water could flow. Yes. So I was given the dopamine when I first woke. There was no water in front of the dam, so the water couldn't flow. Right. 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 We have with without the dam is that water keeps flowing and the river just needs to get get stronger every time they fill it with a bucket. Yes. They see improvement. I didn't see improvements at all. Mm. Wow. Not seeing improvements. I can see that it gets a bit discouraging. Like you're working on heart and you want to see improvement. How, how, how do you how do you not let, not let that sort of beat you down? Well, because I laid, made very small improvements in my mind. Like, right. How do you how how long did you think it t- took me to walk ten meters, which is I don't know five yards or something? Mm-hmm. How long? Well, um, five feet or something. Five feet. Eight months. No, how long did you think it took me to walk those ten meters? So in time, like oh, hour. sorry, I mean, like like oh, um, uh, an hour. Well, it's. I'm six feet. Yeah. I'm 100. I'm one meter 80. So 10, so 10 meters is, I don't know, 50, 50, 50 feet or something. Mm-hmm. 50 feet, it took me 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. Wow. That was insanely slow. Well, right. I, I, I figured, so I, I mean, I, I overshot it by saying an hour, but I mean, yeah. I figured it was a slow process, basically. It, it, like, it was very slow. And every doctor I asked, they say, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, mm-hmm. um, 10. They look at me like I'm crazy. How do you even take 10 minutes to walk? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this is, your, and I can imagine like you're exerting yourself, it's taking a lot of your energy. It's, it's, taking, it's it was taking all of my energy to even walk those 10 meters. Yes. So I was, I was dead after those 10 meters, but I didn't improve at all. It, I was being positive. I gave myself 120% for every therapy, just like mm-hmm. friends and family said, just like every therapist said. Like, right. Be motivated, be, be consistent, then it's going to be all right. But it wasn't going to be all right for me. It didn't do it for me until I got the dopamine. But right. what I what I realized now is that because I was consistent and I persistent and motivated, the the pathways in my brain that were broken, mm-hmm. the dirt I, the dirt roads, got built got transformed into highways because I was using them so much, but the dam was in the way in the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when the dam was taken out, it could flow so the, the traffic could flow could run. right. Yeah, removing that barrier is important, and I and it's interesting because that that barrier it could be it could represent so much things in our lives, um, like fear as an example. That could be a barrier for people overcoming fear, right? And yeah. So one of my fears was being sent to a nursing home. Okay. Because well, insurance companies need to make money as well, <laughs> and when when they don't see improvements or or they see stagnate. Mm-hmm. They say, well, he's not improving anymore. Let's stop the funding. It's going to a nursing home. But I was 18, fully aware of, w- of what was happening around me. Yes. Mentally, I was, all, I was A-OK. And then the fear and the realization of being sent to the nursing home was what kept me up at night. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought, OK, I can 
only look at the only look at the fair and look at the nursing home, or I could work hard and show them that I'm still improving and I that I don't need to go to a nursing home. Right. So that, that's what I did. I used the fear as fuel. Yes. Yes. That and that's I I love that because sometimes fear can absolutely debilitate us and cause us not to move. But if you take that and and it's it's almost a, Kai, it's almost like you're facing the fear. You're not running from it. Well, there are actually two types of coping mechanisms in the case of trauma. Okay. One is avoidance in case of drugs, alcohol, substance abuse, everything. And uh, and well, for me, it was the first six weeks. It was the thinking I was in a dream. Mm-hmm. The second one is confrontation. So being going head first in it. Which one do you think is more effective? Head first in. Of course it is. Easy answer. But when when you're faced with trauma, even though you know it's confrontation, your body may still choose avoidance. Right. Because it depends on your personality in which one it chooses. And if right. you if you change your personality in non-avoiding stuff but going ahead first in it, you may even be able to change the outcome of the the option you choose. Oh, I love that. I love that. I I I I yeah, I I I, I it's, it's the perspective perspective and when we adjust our mindset and change our perspective on things kai i think there you know we, we can accomplish anything that we put our minds to and figure out a way i'm i've always been a big believer in figuring out that pathway figuring out where you want to yeah. be right but to, to quote jim quick mm-hmm. your mind is like a supercomputer and your self-talk is the way it programs itself mm. so if you tell yourself you can't remember names the next person you're going to meet you can't remember their name Right. You tell yourself you can remember names. Look at what happens. You can remember the name. So your self-talk is crucial. And negative self-talk is killing. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, another area when we talk about negative self-talk is when people say they can't do things, right? So before they even make an attempt, before they try, that negative self-talk says they can't. But you believe very differently, don't you? Yeah, but that's that's the believing part in my my method. So you have wishing, but you really well. It's in Dutch. It's wanting. Right. Do you, do you truly want to achieve your goals? Do you believe you can do it, or do you believe? Do you truly believe you can do it? Do you dare to next day, take the next step, well then do it. Right. So it's it starts with wanting to, to achieve your goals. Then it's believing. In which case, right. my dad was pushing me so hard that I would because I was over exerting my body to a point that it was exhausting me right. mentally, physically, everywhere. But then I, at some point, he'd ask me, okay, can I move your left arm? I said, no, I can't do that. He said, why? And I was never able to do it, so I'm not able to do it. He said, do you even, even want to do it? I said, yeah, I want to do it. Do you even believe you can do it? No, because I, have not, I couldn't do it before, I can't do it now. But he, told, he asked me, okay, you please try and show it to me so i did my best in order to prove to him that i couldn't i moved my left arm so that's the barrier he really believed that he can do it i love it i love it i think i think that's tremendous that you did that and uh big fan of how you're now sharing that with others uh so this is awesome For, for people who struggle kai with with even just staying positive. I know, 
you know, it's easy when you face adversity. Uh, it's easy when you're in a valley to want to stay there, right? But uh, th there's a lot to be said that if you have a positive attitude, how it can take you out of that, that valley rather quickly. Yeah, so one of the lessons I also learned is try something, give it your all, truly try something, only then you can say it didn't work. You may end up surprising yourself. In my case, it was moving my arms. Because I truly tried it, and I truly gave it my all. Yes. And I surprised myself with being able to move my arms. But if I didn't even try, then I'm, that we have a saying in Dutch, never shot, it's always miss. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. Oh, that's amazing. So much, again, so much to be said, Kai, about trying. Uh, I'm so glad that you, you, you did that. Uh, so glad that you're able to, to, to share your story. Um, to tell, so so, so let's, let's kind of finish out this story here. Um, and so where, where are you at now uh, in terms of your health and, and what you have going on in your world? Uh, well, health-wise, I have Parkinson's and I am going to be get the brain stimulation in September till January or something in that time period. Okay. I am starting my public speaking career to help people, to motivate people of every level of society, of every occupation, because everyone needs motivation, everyone needs a positive view. And I'm trying to write a book, and I'm actually, I actually started a GoFundMe page in order to subsidize the book or the writing of the book well amazing um uh, be, we'll, we'll be sure to share that that link what's what's the gofundme page and we can share that too with people well you can find it on my website which is khasmit.com you go to the to the links tab yeah you can find the gofundme link got you and and for from for many that i'll say k k a j you know, and as you've taught me in Dutch, the J is silent. That's how we got to Kai. So uh, yeah. Kai, Kai Smith, the dot com is your website. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Kai, this is really awesome. And I'm really, really happy that uh, uh, first off. So thank you for sharing. I'm, again, I'm a big fan of people who share their stories. Uh, but also, I really appreciate hearing how you manage this terrible situation and have gotten to the side and now here at the other side, you're doing all kinds of great things to, to help others. So, so congratulations on a, on a wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So um, uh, on that note, I want to thank you for, for joining me here on the Audacious Living Podcast. Kai, it was absolutely a pleasure and uh, I wish uh, you continued success moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Back we are here on the podcast. I really appreciate you, appreciate you, Kai, for being here and, and sharing your awesome story. Uh, that story of tremendous uh, uh, overcome, tremendous perseverance, overcoming obstacles. Uh, really is fascinating, and I appreciate you for being here. Uh, congrats, really. You know, when you, when you look at how you did it, the positive attitude and maintain that. You know where you're going and that goal you're working towards. You truly are inspiration to so many. I encourage you to continue to share your story because there's so much value in it. You know, when I think back to my conversation with Kai, he really left us with a ton of great points. But if there's just one thing that I would take from my chat with him, it would be this. When situations arise, we can either see the glass as half empty or, or half full. 
having a positive mental attitude is one of the best ways you can help yourself and your and help improve your life drastically. Looking at the positive side of things is particularly important skill to master, especially with the, when we know that our pathway isn't always going to be filled with sunshine and roses. Looking at the brighter side of things keeps us feeling happy and healthy, but it also strengthens and equips us to tackle whatever thing that comes our way. We know it's not going to be easy, so we take the positive side approach, recognizing that what's happening to us is happening only for that moment, and there's a brighter skies ahead, we will be able to live that audacious life that we're all after. Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com. All you've got to do is enter in your email address and you'll be immediately connected to all good things audacious related. We sadly reached the end of another episode of the podcast. And as always, I got to send out a big shout out and thanks uh, to our audacious listeners, our lovers of audaciousness. Uh, You are a big part of this. And I thank you uh, for helping to keep this train moving. Uh, Appreciate your love, support, uh, the energy. It's all, all, all again. So, so, so appreciated. So thank you. And we'll, we'll keep this thing going. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.